gospel. Lord, just to be able to come together as a body of believers and, Lord, just lift up your name, study your word. Uh, Lord, you said we're to study, to show ourselves approved. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that as we open your word that we receive what you have for us tonight. I pray, God, for every hand that went up in the building that just signifies a need tonight in our life. I pray, God, that you would just undertake on our behalf. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, I thank you for, again, just being trustworthy. Lord, we put our confidence in you. Lord, for those that need a touch tonight, Lord, just reach out and touch them. Uh, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, you'll just reach, uh, just move in all the ministries that are taking place uh, across the campus tonight. Be lifted high and glorified in all things. And, Father, I pray as we uh, gear up for uh, some outreaches coming up in the next few weeks, Lord, I just pray that you even uh, just begin to saturate the atmosphere with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and I pray as we prepare to invite our friends that, uh, Lord, you go ahead of us and prepare the way, Lord, as we uh, reach out to see souls saved for the kingdom. I ask you to be with our time of study. Uh, Lord, tonight open our hearts and let us hear. We ask for revival uh, in, in this body of believers and across our land. And, Father, we thank you for all that you do. And we declare it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. amen. God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to Joshua 7. Uh, Joshua chapter 7. We continue on with our series on, uh, on Joshua, Courage in Trying Times. And a way of announcements, uh, let me, a couple things. Um, tomorrow is our food distribution day, so uh, we'll be out at the Yellow Jacket Stadium. Uh, actually, there'll be a group that usually meets here about 9.30. They kind of load up everything. Is it 9.30, Terry? About 9.30? Okay, 9.30. Head out to the stadium, and we'll be at the Yellow Jacket Stadium. Um, probably begin somewhere between 10 and 10.30. Um, so if you know anybody that needs food, have them come out tomorrow. And then also, we also uh, glad to have volunteers. Uh, I did, I had a meeting today with another distributor, and uh, we we're talking about the possibility of adding one more day, uh, so maybe the second and fourth Thursday of the month. Um, there's The need is just tremendous. We have several, I mentioned Sunday, um, we have a couple of uh, food pantries that are more likely going to shut down and that's just going to increase the need. So anyway, I'm just looking for opportunities that we can uh, continue to serve our community in that capacity. So that's tomorrow. Uh, also coming up on Friday, this is for uh, couples, and I think I've said young couples with kids, uh, and it's not just couples, single parents as well, but we are starting a new ministry that's targeting, uh, it is targeting uh, young families uh, with children. Uh, we are going to be meeting at the barn and uh, you'll just have to go and experience what the barn is. <laughs> uh, that's Friday night, 6.30. And I, did, I do have flyers. Uh, I get, Jacob, I gave, gave you guys some flyers. But anyway, that's Friday night. Um, and then with that same thing in mind, we're kicking off a Sunday school class again for that, or not again, but for that particular age group as well. So we're going to be doing that on the 19th. Uh, so Sunday the 19th, so make note of that. And then also, I just want to remind you that Friend Day, everybody know what Friend Day is? Friend Day's coming up on April the 2nd. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, this, we'll do a brand new illustrated sermon that day called Jesus Does. And uh, we're going to be looking at some misconceptions uh, of Jesus that people have. And uh, it's going to be a, uh, really a, a great day. Uh, again, it'll be great because we're all going to invite friends. Amen. Amen. There we go. We're going to invite our friends. We're going to fill the building. And then we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to fill the altar. Uh, that's what it's all about. That's why we do these. So anyway, if you'll help us out uh, on that, there will be one service that day and uh, uh, the 1045, and then we'll go from there. Anyway, let's get into our teaching tonight. Uh, again, we're encouraged, Joshua, courage in trying times. And uh, so tonight's lesson is here comes trouble. Anybody know trouble? Here comes trouble. So... Joshua 7, I'm just going to read one verse, uh, but I will, I will refer to the entire chapter and, and a little bit into chapter 8. Verse number 1 simply reads this, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. Notice what they did. They committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. 
That's a powerful statement right there. The ang- you know, we don't like to talk about that, right? May God add his blessing to his word. Uh, we don't like to talk about the anger of God or the wrath of God. But, you know, that's just as much a part of God as the love of God. You know, we don't, we don't like to hear it because it violates our sensitivities. Uh, it upsets our, our, you know, our just kind of makes it topsy-turvy. But there is the wrath of God. The Bible, uh, what was that, da- uh, David Edwards? Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached that great sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. said that when he preached that sermon, it, he preached it with such conviction that they had people that literally were grabbing the backs of the pew, digging their fingernails in it, praying out of fear of falling into the depths of hell right there on the spot. It was such a, a, a just an incredible sermon. Uh, and, and again, I'm not here to say that the methodology of the church is to, you know, to literally scare the hell out of people. That's not really it, but that's part of it. You know, you, you can't preach about the love of God without preaching about the wrath of God. And, and, and for the text to say that his wrath burned, there's some trouble brewing. And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight. So as we move through this story, again, we're doing it kind of quickly. And, and, and you know, I'd love to just park here. You know, I talked through... Uh, the first eight chapters of Romans, and it took us a year. Uh, you know, I did the first five chapters, I believe, uh, and then we took a break, and then I came back and did the, the other chapters. And it's just a long time. I, I would love to do that, but, but I wanted to just kind of jump into this because um, I, I don't want us to get bogged down. But, you know, it's, it, it's good to see uh, the children of Israel moving into the promised land. I've always loved this story because the children of Israel had a promise from God that was 400, over 400 years old. And it was a promise that they could go into a land that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was a land of milk and honey, a land of abundance and plenty. Uh, and yet they were in slavery. They were in servitude for 430 years. God raised up Moses. Uh, Moses becomes the deliverer. They get out in the wilderness. They complain and whine and, and gripe and bellyache about everything. They were unfaithful to God. And God finally said, you know what? Well, Deuteronomy says, God said, they have wearied me. That's another powerful statement. We, you know, what that means in plain English is they got on God's last nerve. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. They just got on his nerves. You know, because no matter what he did, they complained. And no matter how well he made things, you know, they got, they, they got thirsty, so God gave them water out of a rock. You know, then they got hungry, so start, God started giving them manna. What's manna? Well, that's what it is. What is it? <laughs> you know, they even were eating. What is it? I, I tell you what it is. It's, it's Krispy Kreme donuts. That's what they had. That's manna from heaven right there. <laughs> you know, and, but, but that wasn't good enough. And they said, oh, we, you know, this manna's getting kind of old. We need meat. So what does God do? God sends in the quail, and now they have meat. But, you know, it's just on and on and on. And so God says, you know what? Not one of you. They get to Kadesh Barnea. They go and spy out the land. They come out, and they said, yeah, it's a good land, just like God said, but there's some big men over there, <laughs> the giants in the land. And two men said, wait a minute, we can do this. But they all listened to those naysayers, and boom, God said, okay, not one of you will go into the land, save these two men, and they all died in the wilderness. And so now, again, it's just been a long process. I love seeing them move into the promised land. Uh, again, been the subject of their conversation for over 400 years. And, and, and so far up to this point, you know, you go to chapter 1, uh, things have seemed to go really well, right? I mean, for the first six chapters, it looks like things are kind of clicking off and they're doing really well. Moses died. Uh, God comes along, taps his trusty assistant to step up and lead the people into their inheritance. Uh, Joshua was encouraged by God, reminded him. Remember what he said to him? He said, as I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Again, giving him confidence that, hey, the same God that moved on behalf of the children of Israel through Moses, I'll be with you and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. Uh, he said, no one will be able to stand against you. That's pretty reassuring right there. I don't know about you, but that's pretty reassuring, building confidence we saw how God miraculously stopped the flow of the mighty Jordan River. The Bible said he piled it up on a heap. They crossed over on dry ground. Uh, they did that. Cre- and then last week we looked at how God brought an incredible miracle of bringing down the walls of Jericho. So it seems like everything is going their way 
uh, within a short period of time, uh, the land's going to be theirs. I mean, man, you talk about happy and, and just being content. It just seems like nothing could go wrong. And then we come to chapter 7. <laughs> and it stands, chapter 7, listen, stands as a stark reminder that we need to be very careful because sin is always lurking. It is always lurking, waiting for that perfect opportunity to trap us. And that's what chapter 7 is. Here's a truism I think that we've probably all witnessed, and that is this. We never sin alone. We never sin alone. We never sin alone. You know why? Because we are never alone. There's always somebody, and I'm not just being super spiritual because God is always seeing us, but I'm saying there's always somebody that watches I remember years ago, I had a man call me uh, back in the, in the 90s when they were considering all the private club things here in Cleburne, and I'd go down to city council all the time, and, you know, I would, uh, some of you might remember those days, it was, you know, I'd go down to city council, and I would f- speak against the, the liquor and all that stuff that's going on in the community, and I and, uh, had a man call me one day, and he said he wasn't happy that I was taking such a stance, and he said, he called me, and he said, hey, Preacher, I just want to ask you one question. He said, where did you have lunch on Friday? Well, listen, if somebody asks you a direct question like that, you know they already know the answer. And so, and so I said, well, let's see, Friday, what was I doing Friday? Okay, my wife, we were in Fort Worth. So and I, I said, I, this is where we ate. He said, well, isn't that kind of hypocritical? He said, I saw you. I said, what was I doing? He said, well, you were eating with your wife. And I said, okay. He said, isn't that hypocritical? You know, and my point, and I said, well, absolutely not. I said, you can't go anywhere in Fort Worth without going to a place that, that serves alcohol. I said, but I don't mean I want it in my community. But anyway, that, that wasn't the point. The point was, somebody's always watching you. <laughs> There's all, they're always watching you. Some, someone else always sees what we do, even when we think we get away with it. And this story tonight is a reminder that you don't get away with anything. See, Achan learned his lesson the hard way. So this is the story of one man's sin that brought the entire nation of Israel to a terrible defeat. One man. The story in chapter 6 is one of the best-known stories of the Bible. I mean, even our children know about the walls of Jericho and how the mighty walls, and they, they have songs about the walls of Jericho falling down. Songs have been written about the battle of Jericho. But this story here, not well celebrated. <laughs> Not, not, this is not as well known, and, and you got to understand they're tied together. It's important. They're tied together. You know, Joshua 6 is the story of the thrill of victory. And chapter 7 is the story of the agony of defeat. You know, we, we, we like to hear more about victory than we do defeat, but this story is about defeat. Uh, so there are two things about chapter 7 I think are interesting, maybe a little bit of trivia. And that is this, number one, this is the only defeat that the Jews suffer in the conquest of Canaan. The only defeat. And the second thing, a good trivia thing here, is this is also the only recorded loss of life to the Jews. That's it, this story here, that's it. In the conquest of the, of the, of the promised land. So as we begin tonight, I want to I I drop, drop back to um, chapter 6. And, and read verse 27. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Okay, that's the end of, ending of chapter 6. The Lord was with Joshua, his fame spread throughout the, uh, throughout the land. So after reading a verse like that, you would expect chapter 7 to open up by saying something like, so Joshua and all of the people rolled from, rolled from victory to victory to victory to victory. I mean, why not? I mean, Jericho was the chief Canaanite city at that time. And when the Israelites got through with them, not one stone was standing upon the other with the walls that had come down. Um, victory had, was, was, again, I mean, it was, it was almost assured. Uh, if, if the Jews were, if Jericho could fall to Joshua so easily, then really what city could stand against him? I mean, again, from a human st- standpoint, looking at it, if, if the walls of Jericho could come down the way they did with such ease, now they had to be obedient. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was uh, totally easy because getting people to keep their mouth shut for uh, a trip around the wall and doing that seven times, uh, that's, that's a feat in and of itself, right? 
But they, they did it. They obeyed, and the walls came down. So you would think, man, there's not a city in this area that could stand up to that type of, of, of power. Here's the thing. If the Jews were overconfident, again, we, I, I, don't, I don't know that we could blame them. But here's the thing. Victory always has a way of making us complacent and careless. And I think maybe this is where some of what we see here tonight comes about. Uh, in, in verse 2 of our chapter 7 tonight, it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, here's what he said, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. Okay? And when the text says went up, again, I, I, you know, being, going there, you understand the spatial thing now. It literally was up. The Jordan, again, is below sea level. Jericho is below sea level. So when he said go up, they literally went up to Ai to spy out the land. Here's what happens, verse 3. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So it wasn't a metropolitan area. It was a small community uh, and he said, you know what, don't, don't send a lot of people. Don't waste the time. From a military standpoint, it probably made sense. Again, uh, it was a tiny outpost compared to uh, Jericho. The, the spies were, again, acting on, hey, we had already taken care of Jericho. We already got the walls down. We defeated them. Uh, this is not going to be a big deal. So let's not, let's not send the masses. Let's just send a few. The thing I notice about that is that they don't have God in the equation. You know, there's not a reference to God in the equation. It's like they said, you know what, General uh, Joshua, let's just send in the JV. Let's send the JV team in. They, they can handle it. It's not going to be, it wouldn't be much of a workout for the varsity. But the JV, they can handle it pretty good, so don't worry about it. Well, that was a bad idea because verses 4 and 5 says, so about 3,000 went up. But notice what it says here. They were routed by the men of Ai, who killed 36 of them. Okay? They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At, at this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. So, again, picture this. They, they'd already sent their professional spies in, and they said, this is not a big deal. Just send a few guys, and we can, we can mop this thing up, and we can just keep on rolling. And the Bible said they were routed by this small outpost. I mean, this is not just a defeat. This is a shameful rout. What should have been an easy victory turned into a total disaster. And now they have 36 graves to dig. The people are living in fear. I mean, man, what a difference a day makes. How in the world could something like that happen? I mean, how having crossed the impossible, impossible river, Jordan, at flood stage and defeated an impossible city like Jericho, how in the world could they be routed by a little, little outpost like I? Well, in verse 6, when the word kind of reached General Joshua, here's how he responded. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. That sign of mourning. I mean, they are literally torn up that, that uh, they suffered such a humiliating defeat. Something had gone terribly wrong, <laughs> you think? You know, something had really happened. It was really bad. I mean, God had promised them. Remember what God promised them? Wherever the sole of your feet step, that I'll give you. I mean, that was the promise of God, and yet here they are stepping into the territory of this small little outpost, and they get routed. They're lo I, mean, I mean, think about what's going through their mind. At this point in the story, only God, listen, only God knows right now what's going on. They have no clue at what's happening in this story. No one is pointing the finger at Achan. Joshua knows nothing about Achan uh, taking the loot for himself that, that eventually is going to be exposed by the Lord. The key to this story though, is I think in the instructions that Joshua gives to the 3,000 soldiers that were going into the land. He told them, and you can read it in verses 17 and 18, he told them to burn the city, kill the inhabitants, but no one was to take anything 
of, or any of the plunder. They weren't to take anything. They were going, they were, in fact, they were to bring any of the precious metal uh, and the, uh, uh, the metals that were there, they were to bring those into the treasury of the Lord. Everything else had to be burned. So again, of the thousands of soldiers, think about this, 3,000 soldiers went in there, 2,999 obeyed, one man disobeyed. And again, although Joshua didn't know it yet, Achan, his greed led to their terrible defeat. One man, think about this, and this, this is the whole point. One man disobeyed, and they were planning 36 funerals. The army is routed, and the nation is put to shame because of one man. I think it's very telling to note the first verse and the last verse of chapter 6. Verse one, verse 1 says, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Verse 26 said, the Lord turned from his fierce wrath or fierce anger in the span of a, of a chapter. The lesson of this lesson tonight is really about the wrath of God, and it stands as a solemn warning that none of us should ever take God lightly. We should never take God lightly. You know, I, it, it kind of bothers me that it seems like even in, 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 in mainline denominational churches that, that uh, God is now the homeboy. You know, does that make sense? You understand what I'm trying to say? You know, they, Hollywood, they had, they had T-shirts made with the face of Jesus, said, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, and, and to me, they're just, that's, that's kind of a disgrace to talk about the man upstairs, and you know, it's just kind of irreverent to me. You know, I think we have to be very careful uh, when we address the, the sovereign of the universe, the one who sits upon the circle of the earth and who stretches out the cord thereof. I think we have to be careful, uh, and I think that's what this is a, a, a reminder this message is not for unbelievers. This is not one that you would preach in, a, in an evangelistic crusade because it has nothing to do with them. This is, this is for folks like us who come to church, who are part of the family of God, who are, who are believers. This speaks to us who, who attend church every week. The more, listen, the more faithful we are, the more uh, we need to hear what God's saying. There are, th- there, there are several things I want us to pick up from this story. Uh, here's the first one. Number one, Great victory often leads to great temptation. Great victory often leads to great temptation. Now, I've said this a number of times down through the years, but for me, my greatest time of of vulnerability, I I think is the the way to say it, is when I'm exhausted. When I'm tired, uh, you know, like... Like friend day, for instance, we'll, we'll be working on friend day. There'll be a lot of practices, a lot of building sets. There'll be a lot of things going into that. And then you have that day. And, and again, if we do our part, we're going to let God do his part. So, so you'll see the altars uh, prayerfully filled up with people either recommitting their life to Christ or, or accepting him for the first time. And that puts you on a spiritual high. But you have to be very careful. Because after that, you know, after that great victory, there is a temptation for, that comes knocking at our door. And, and if you read the first few verses of chapter 7, you know, it's, it's clear that no one ever expected a defeat at this little outpost. Again, it should have been a very routine victory, very easy victory, but it wasn't. Because this easy victory turned into a shameful defeat. This should not, and again, it shouldn't surprise us. I love what A.W. Pink says. He talks about temptation uh, that happens after a great victory. Here's what he said. He said, when the Lord is pleased to exercise his power in the saving of souls, preaching appears to be an easy matter. And the minister is tempted to spend less time and labor in the preparation of his sermons. And when God grants a saint victory over some powerful lust, he is apt to feel there is less need to pray so earnestly. But such a spirit is disastrous, end quote. What he's saying is that you know, if we're not careful, we can kind of lie. You know, one of the things I love about the story of David, and I don't want to chase this rabbit very far, but David, when God called David, David was a, he was a rejected son of Jesse that wasn't even in the conversation for the next king. You know, Jesse brings his, all his, his boys in because they had the appearance of kingliness, and little, Je- little Jesse's boy David, the ruddy one, is out in the field. David, 
David didn't know how to be a king. When God called David, David was an amateur. <laughs> he was just a shepherd boy with a harp, knew how to worship. And yet God saw something in him. You see, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that we have to be careful. You know, so, so God called David as an amateur. And it's kind of like what Paul, he told Paul, Paul, in your weakness, I'll be strong. David, I'm calling you because I know there's something in you. And you and I, you know, we can, we can do great things. In the Lord's work, it is, better to, it is better to feel weak than to feel strong. You know, David got to the point where, again, I don't, I don't want to go into that story, but David got to the point where, if you remember him bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, and he puts him where? On a, on a cart, a new cart. You know what that was? David had learned how to, do, how to be a king. And so in learning how to be a king, he became a professional and he knew better. He knew what he was going to do. So he decided, this is what I'm going to do. Although God had already orchestrated and, and told them how things were to be done. But David's now a professional. And when God struck down Uzzah on, on the threshing floor, when the oxen stumbled, David was humbled and God reminded him, look, buddy, when I called you, you didn't know how to do anything but be, to be a shepherd and a worshiper. That's what I'm after. And you see how he humbled himself because the next time he did it, remember what he did? He stripped off all the royal garments and he kept on his plain ephod and he went dancing before the Lord. It was like, this is him. Listen, we have to be careful that we don't lock into, you know, and this is one of the things I really, have, I really do my best to guard against. Is I've, you've heard me say this before. I've got, I've got a, a, a bookshelf in there with, with probably 3,000 sermons or more from the last 30 years. I don't go look at them. And I'm not saying preaching uh, repeats because I, I, many people wouldn't know what I preached last week. They just wouldn't remember. <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's wrong because the Bible, Paul even said it's necessary to say things again, you know, to repeat it again. So, but, but I strive not to. I want to be fresh. Oh, yeah, I could just walk in there and say, okay, here's what, I can preach this one this week. And I wouldn't have to spend time. I wouldn't have, you know, I could, I could do other things, but I don't do that because I don't, I don't want to be a professional. I still want to have, and thankfully, uh, 30 years into it, I still have butterflies on Sunday morning when it's time to deliver God's word. I still have those butterflies, and I don't ever want that to leave. You have to be careful. In our weakness, we know we need the Lord. The man who thinks he stands by his own power is heading to a very shameful fall. The second thing is our sin always hurts other people. Joshua 7 verse 1 says, but the Israelites were unfaithful. Verse 11 says Israel has sinned. And even, in fact, in verse 11, here's what the Lord said. Notice how he phrased this. He said, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. Now, I find that odd. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do. I, fi I find that odd because, I mean, it's like, it's like the nation is at fault, but the nation had nothing to do with it. It was one man. It was one man. But God held the entire nation responsible for one man's sin. Why did he do that? Well, that's what it means to be part of the family of God. That's what it means. The Bible says we're to weep with those who weep. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. When one person sins, we suffer consequences. Sin is never a private thing because there's no such thing. Every evil word, every evil deed, every evil thought hurts those around us. You think about a husband who has a wandering eye, and he goes out and he, has, he, he determines to go out and have just a one-night fling, and then that one-night fling, he, go, he comes back and he, he contracts some sexually transmitted disease, and then he comes back and, again, could pass on to the family. You just don't do it in isolation. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about uh, a situation there where he tells them to put this man out of the assembly uh, for a period of time to let Satan take care of the flesh, if you will, give him a, time, give him a season of repentance. You know, uh, you remember the story? This young man was, was sleeping with his father's wife, 
And they tolerated that. And Paul said, look, that's not right, man. You need to, you need to bring that. The only way to bring this man to repentance is to, and to, is to protect the purity of the church and put that man out. Sometimes we have to do the hard things for the sake of the body of Christ. Because if you don't, it's like a cancer that's grow, that grows in our body. You can't ignore it because if you ignore it, it's going to spread. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 6. He said, a little, a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Just a little bit. Sin spreads like yeast in a ball of dough. If you leave it alone, it will permanently affect the body. Number three, God knows how to bring our sin to light. Well, my daughter over there, she could probably tell you, there, I, and I grew up with the same thing. You know, many times my parents would come and say something to me, and I'm like, how in the world did you know? <laughs> you know, caught me red-handed or guilty with something, and they would, like, how did you know? You know, the, here's the irony of the story, though. The irony of the story is that Achan is a rich man. That, that's the irony of the story. He's a rich man. He had children. He had oxen. He had donkeys. He had sheep. He had a tent. I mean, he, he had resources. He came from one, one of the leading tribes of Judah. He took the loot because of greed, not poverty. When I worked at a grocery store, you know, the, the, the manager would always say, you know what, if you catch a shoplifter, if they're, if they're stealing food sustenance for them, then we'll talk about it as opposed to maybe a pack of cigarettes or a bottle of booze or something like that. You know, he had no toleration for that, but he was a little bit lenient if they were hungry and needed food. This guy is taking loot out of greed, not poverty. Okay? He, he's, again, he's a rich man. The, the rules Joshua laid out in chapter 6 were very clear. The soldiers were not to touch the loot that they found while Jericho burned. Was he aware of this? Absolutely. Achan knew what God had commanded, but he chose to ignore it, and he, when, he, when he ignored it, he sealed his own fate. I want you to think about this. Have you ever... Have, did you ever know, did you ever get in trouble and, and uh, you had to wait for punishment? They said, just wait till, just wait till I get you home. Isn't that, isn't that just, man, that's just not good. Because <laughs> you sit there in your brain, you just go over and over. Are they going to kill me or, you know, are they going to sell me? <laughs> it must have been a long day for Aiken. Because God led them on a process of elimination. That's what he did. Uh, and, and as one tribe, as, as the tribe started standing before, you know, it was one tribe down, another one, and another one, and another one. It was getting closer and closer and closer to the truth. His nerves are shot. Have you ever had the suspense of waiting for discipline? <laughs> His nerves are shot. The guilt is rising. You know, he, he felt the misery of a guilty man waiting to be caught. Alexander McKay says it like this. He said, the rust of gold, like some satanic acid, ate into his soul like some unspeakable torture. <laughs> As he watched one tribe after another just pass by. Not him, not him, not him. That's a long day. I think it's illustrated really well in Proverbs 13, 15. It says, the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard. So the Lord told Joshua to bring the nation before him by tribes. Then he said... It's Judah. Then the tribe of Judah came in their clans. And the Lord said, it's the Zerahites. Then the clan of the Zerahites came forward. And the Lord said, it's Zimri. And the family of Zimri came forward. And the Lord said, it's Achan. That's the process of elimination. And God had already decreed in verse 15 what the punishment would be. It says, whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. So what does that mean? This is a capital punishment crime. That's what it means. And the reason that it's a capital punishment crime, here's what he said. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. What does that mean? It means God takes it very seriously. You know, we can be flipping about it, but God takes it very, very seriously. Numbers 32, 23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. Will find you out. That leads to the fourth point. 
Honest confession brings glory to God. Honest confession brings glory to God. When Achan stood before Joshua after all the process of elimination, the general comes up to him in verse 19, and here's what he says. He said, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. (laughs) I read that, and I thought, well, how in the world would he hide it? I mean, he's already been singled out out of all the thousands of people. God God had whittled it down from the masses to Judah to to the Zerahites. And, uh, I mean, how would you hide it? He said, you know what? Go ahead and tell me what you've done. And don't try to hide it. Here's the thing. True confession, and, and maybe you've experienced, I know I've experienced this. True confession is good for the soul because it relieves us from the burden of our sin. It relieves us. I can't tell you how many times people have said, I'm so glad you know. It's like a weight off my shoulder. It's tough. It's tough to walk around with guilt. It's tough to have that that stuff heavy laden upon us to to know that we're guilty and try to hide. You know, the Bible says if you conceal something, you'll not prosper. Confession is good. And I think at this point we have to give Achan credit. I mean, I think we we really do because he told the truth. You know, and, 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 and maybe one of the first times in human history, he doesn't say, well, it's the woman that you gave me. You know, he, he doesn't pass the buck. He told the truth. He admitted what he had done. Now, again, we could say with the cynical side of us, well, he didn't really have a choice. I mean, he'd already, all the numbers have been whittled down, and it's him. But we always do have a choice, right? Some people don't tell the truth because they can't bear to tell the truth. He told the truth. Aiken, verse verses 20, uh, Achan confessed his sin. He made no excuse. Here's what he said. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted. Notice what he said. I coveted them, and I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Honest confession. But I want you to notice the progress here, okay? Notice or, or the process. I saw, I coveted, I took. I saw, I coveted, and I took. I wasn't always a preacher when I was a little boy. I remember one time I was, anybody remember the, the Brock's candy display that you used to have in the malls, you know, like Sears and what have you? One of my favorite candies is the little jelly nougats, you know, the, the little jelly beans in there, the white candy. Like, it's not really taffy, but it's real sticky. And I remember one time I was at, at the, I was probably 10, 11 years old, and I'm with my uncle and my cousin, and we're walking through Sears. I mean, we're just passing through. We're not shopping. We're passing through Sears, and, and I, I'm walking by, and I see that candy display, and that's my favorite candy, and I just reach over there, grab a handful, put it in my pocket, and I keep on walking. I get out in the middle of the mall. I put that thing in my mouth, and I bit down on it, and it ripped my tooth out of my mouth. <laughs> I never did that again. I thought, be sure your sins will find you out. <laughs> I saw it. I coveted it. And I took it, and it pulled my tooth. Listen, that is natural progression, though. What the eye sees, the heart covets, and the hand takes. That's it. Honest confession glorifies God. Why? Because he's holy. Because he's holy. When we say, I have sinned, we open up the door for every blessing that comes, and we remove that barrier that stands between us and God. The Bible says he who, he, who, he who hides his sin doesn't prosper. It, it kind of raises a question. I, I didn't really think about this, but I read, I, I read this, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. And the question is this, could Achan be in heaven? Think about it. Now, uh, we don't know, okay? I, and I, 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 I tread lightly on that question because none of us are qualified to make that, that judgment, right? But... Uh, 
I don't know. Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who, again, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have what? Mercy. He confessed. He absolutely confessed. So it's not impossible that Achan would be in heaven, he, he, even though, but he did suffer. He did suffer just punishment for what he had done. Could God still have forgiven him? Absolutely. Absolutely. If this, if this is the case, then um, what about the man in 1 Corinthians 5 who was put out of the church? It was so that he could be, what's the word I'm looking for? So that his, his flesh could be destroyed so that, his sin, so that his soul could be converted or saved. That's what, the, that's what the process was. Which leads to the fifth thing, and that is this. Sin always brings consequences that have to be faced. It always has consequences. Think about this. You could, I like this analogy. You could shoot an arrow, one could shoot an arrow and repent while that arrow is in the air. But when the arrow comes down, it may hit someone and kill them. Maybe that's a really simplistic analogy. Repentance, here, here's the point. Repentance removes the guilt of sin. It doesn't necessarily remove the consequences of sin. In other words, the wheels of justice begin turning, and my repentance relieves the guilt, but it doesn't stop the wheel from turning. Murderers may confess and seek forgiveness and then later be put to death. I think of, I think of a couple noted serial killers that, that tormented the United States, our, our country. Carla Faye Tucker had a jailhouse conversion. I listened to the story of the pastor who, who led her to the Lord and discipled her. You know, but she paid for it. She paid for it. You know, they say Jeffrey Dahmer, who, again, a notorious serial killer, mass murderer, had a a conversion experience. Again, I, I, I can't judge that, but, but I, I read the article of the pastor that led him to the Lord. Didn't change the consequence. He was still put to death. We go on. Then Joshua together, here's what happened. Then Joshua together with all of Israel took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor, Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned, stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. You read that and you think, wow. Kind of overkill, don't you think? You know, it seems harsh. Well, maybe it seems harsh because maybe we've lost our sense of God's holiness. Maybe we just lost our sense of the holiness of God. The Bible says without holiness, no man would see the Lord. And you think about Ananias and Sapphira. They lied in the New Testament and in a church service. They both fell over dead. I think Achan is the, is the Old Testament counterpart to, to Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Maybe we become so accustomed to making excuses for the sin in our lives that we, this, is, this seems very, very extreme. You know, there are a lot of people today that read a story like that, and they would be turned off, disgusted by what appears to be an overreaction. It's because they don't understand the gravity of sin. It was our sin that nailed him to the cross. It was our sin that compelled him to to lay aside his divine prerogatives according to Paul and take upon himself human flesh to become one of us, to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. It was sin. And sometimes we, we, we wink at sin, we laugh at sin, we ignore sin, but God doesn't. God doesn't. And again, Joshua knew what he was doing. That, that pile of stones would be a permanent reminder for everyone in Israel that God is not to be trifled with. You either take God seriously or you walk away from it, the whole deal. Because we can't rewrite the rules to suit ourselves. And there's so many people today in our culture. I mean, we've got people today that, that pastor large churches, that 
pull out scripture and they twist it and contort it to mean to, to, to mean what they want it to mean to 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 line up with their ideology or their their socialist or their social uh, gospel doctrine we got to be so careful you know we can't rewrite the rules here's what happens next and i'm just going to make reference as i bring this in for a landing in chapter 8 they go back to I. They go back to this little outpost. And this time they conquer it and they burn it to the ground. And this time, God says, you can keep the loot for yourself. So think about that. Okay? Which mean, really means if Achan had been so he hadn't been so greedy, he would have had his Babylonian garment, he would have had his silver, and he would have had the gold. All he had to do was wait a few more days. God said, that belongs to me. You know, you can start talking about the first portions, you know, the, the dedicated thing. But God wasn't against them having stuff. He wasn't against them taking, you know, when they came out of Egypt, remember, God sent them out of Egypt with the, with the loot of the land. They came out with the, with, with the, with the riches of Egypt. So God wasn't against them having stuff. God just said, hey, that belongs to me. You bring it to my house, and it's mine. And he ignored that, disobeyed, and he was killed for it. But then they go back, and God says, now you can take. Here's the thing. Satan, you got to be careful. He's a, he's a liar and the father of all lies. He, he likes to buy our souls with counterfeit promises. You know, he always says things like, well, don't wait. <laughs> don't wait. Go, go for it. You deserve it. You deserve Don't you imagine that's what the devil was doing to Achan? Achan, you deserve it. You've been faithful. You fought the battles. You, don't, you deserve it. Go for it. You, you need it. This is going to make you happy. Boy, doesn't he do that today? And he says, you know what? Don't, you don't have to worry about it. Nobody will ever know. Remember, you never sin alone. You never sin alone. He lies, he cheats, he steals. And when he does all that, he, then he destroys our souls. So my, my, as I wrap this up tonight, before you grab hold of the forbidden fruit or try to hide the stolen loot, remember that your sin, you never sin alone. God hears, God sees, and God knows. And I think the story of Achan is kind of a cautionary tale about the wrath and mercy of God. God's wrath burns against sin because he loves us so much. His judgment on sin is part of that, that mercy, his, his severe mercy to us. You know, I, we did an illustrated sermon one time, and we talked about that every culture since the, since the dawn of humanity has always had a sense of justice whereby wrongdoing must be atoned for. Every every society in antiquity of man has always had a system of justice where those who commit wrong should be held liable for the wrong that they've committed. It always has. And if we had somebody do us wrong and we went down to a local judge and we wanted, we wanted justice, if they just kind of winked and said, well, you know what, they'll just, you know, people are going to be people, just don't worry about it, you know, get over it. We wouldn't be too happy with that judge, right? Because we want somebody to give us justice. Well, God's holiness demands, it demands a payment. Somebody's got to pay. Sin is a reproach against God. And he said, but I'll send my son. And he can become the atoning sacrifice. It's a big deal to him. It's kind of interesting. If you want to look at the gospel in this story, just look, how, look at what happened. God's anger burned against Israel until Achan paid for his sin. Again, sin has to be dealt with, has to be paid for. If God ignored sin, he would no longer be holy. So Achan stands for everyone in the human race because we too have sinned and tried to hide it. We have lied, we've cheated, we tried to cover it up, we've broken our promises, we blamed others, we played the fool, our sin has been found out every time. And you know what? We deserve the same thing Achan got. 
Same thing. The stones that shattered him should shatter us. But for the grace of God. (laughs) The Bible says the handwritten ordinance that was against us, he took it to the cross, nailing it to the tree. He became guilty so that we could be pardoned. I don't know any better way to wrap that up. It's see, I can either pay, I can either pay for my own sin my way, or I can throw myself on his mercy and accept what he's already done for me. It's our choice. It's my choice. It's your choice. Like Achan, again, we've sinned, we've tried to hide it, but in Christ, we find mercy and we find grace. Won't you stand with me tonight? Again, what an interesting story to go from the thrill of victory, seemingly nothing going wrong, and then all of a sudden, the the brakes hit because one man decided that he could bend the rules or that he could do his own thing and nobody would ever know. Nobody would ever be the wiser. We never sin alone. Our sin affects other people. A husband's sin will affect his family. A wife's sin will affect her family. A church member's sin will affect the church. We have to be careful. Not careful to sin without, (laughs) that's not what I mean. We just have to be careful and recognize that sin in the camp will disrupt what God wants to do. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer? I'm just going to ask tonight that, this is, you know, I was thinking about this today as I would close, and my, my, the way I want to close tonight is just to ask this. Maybe, maybe here tonight, say, you know what, Pastor, I want, to, I, want to, I want God to help me with discernment. I want, I want to be able to discern what, you know, those things around me. I don't, I don't want to be caught like, you know, Aiken was caught in, in, in a situation that, again, I think most of us, you know, we, we have opportunities to do things. He, he puts things in, our, in, in front of us, the temptations. And to Aiken, it wasn't wrong. He didn't feel like it was wrong. I mean, hey, I, I, it looks good. I want it. But God had already said, don't. And I think he lacked discernment to understand the gravity of disobedience. So maybe we're here tonight and say, you know what, Pastor, I just I want God to help me with my, my discernment. I want to I be able to discern what is, what's right and what's wrong. I don't want to be con- con- confused by the enemy's double talk. I want, to, I want to anchor on the truth of God's word. If that's you, just slip in right up, right back down all across the building. If you're online tonight, just, just comment. We want to pray with you as well. Father, tonight I love you and I thank you. Lord, I thank you that your grace is sufficient and your mercies are new every day. Lord, thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. Lord, but that you took upon yourself the iniquity of us all and you paid that price. You became the atoning sacrifice so that we would not have to pay ourselves. Now, Father, I pray for the hands that went up tonight, those that are online tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to develop the discernment to know that we have an adversary who walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Lord, help us to recognize. You said we're not unaware of his devices, his schemes. So, Lord, help us to have that discernment to see those booby traps, those hidden gotchas so that we can avoid a dangerous situation to our families, to our lives, to our church. Father, help us to walk with that covenant relationship with you. Now, Father, go with us tonight. Give us a great restful night, I pray. Lord, may we wake up in the morning with a spring in our step, a song in our heart. And I pray as we go about our day tomorrow, and though for the team that will be out there distributing food tomorrow, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the answer to someone's prayer. Lord, that you've sent us on assignment Lord, wherever we may go tomorrow, Lord, let us be aware of those around us. I love and I bless each one now. Thank you for all that you do. Give us a great rest of the week and bring us on Sunday ready to receive what you have for us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.